Well, on this first Sunday of Lent, we encounter the Son of God as he confronts the fullness of his humanity. As Matthew's gospel describes him, Jesus has concluded his 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. Physically, he's at the end of his strength. Socially, he's alone and friendless. Spiritually, he is struggling to hang on. Hang on to his identity as the glow of his baptism recedes into a hazy, pre-wilderness past. The wilderness, with its harsh vastness, bleak and demanding, is a backdrop for discernment, for identity, mission, and purpose throughout the history of God's people. So that's what these 40 days were for Jesus. A time and place away from distractions of life to reflect on the implications of what it means to be beloved of God in whom God is well pleased. And so this is what our 40 days of Lent can present to us as well, if we'll choose it. Time and space set aside, apart from the distractions that keep us in a state of a theological term recently developed called FOMO, fear of missing out. FOMO. The fear of missing out, where we constantly question our priorities, our values, our purpose, because something or someone might come along with a better offer. So let's keep one foot in, one foot out, being ready to shift if we need to, never settling strong in our convictions on anything, because we might miss out. We're at the mercy of something else or someone else telling us what to do, who to listen to, and what to believe. And in chaotic times, such as the ones Jesus lived in and the ones that we're living in, it is tempting to let the fear of missing out lead us, govern our days. Except fear doesn't really lead anywhere except deeper into itself. So that we end up questioning every decision we've ever made, second-guessing our intuition, doubting our ability to take responsibility, and set our priorities for living. Being led by the fear of missing out means we go nowhere. But just like the transformation is how Epiphany ends, the wilderness time is how Lent begins every year. So it seems to be these two moments in Jesus' life, they keep getting put together every year to perhaps tell us something about the highs and lows of what it means to be alive. That one moment we're on top of the world, and the next, we are gripped by loneliness, fear, and doubt that will ever get that same spiritual high back again. But in the baptism and on the mountaintop, 
Jesus experienced the full expression of his divinity. And now in the wilderness, he has to experience the full expression of his humanity. Meaning what Jesus has to do is face what T.S. Eliot called the greatest temptation. To do the right thing for the wrong reason. Matthew says that the devil didn't appear to Jesus until after his 40 days were up. So at this point, Jesus is famished. He's not just hungry. His blood sugar is way low at this point. Some of us know exactly what that feels like. He's in famine territory. This prolonged state of extreme deprivation of food and also community and a sense of self that leaves him vulnerable to an assault against his person, his mind, and his deeply held beliefs. Can you be like God? Is the savvy question that the devilish interrogator posed to Adam and Eve in the garden. And now this accuser comes back to the exhausted Son of God with the shrewd inversion of that timeless, an ancient question. Not can you be like God. That's easy. The temptation is to be like God all the time. Make things happen when you want it, as fast or as quickly as you want it. No, can, Jesus, can you be fully human? Can you abdicate power? Can you exercise restraint? Can you work in obscurity? Can you bear the vulnerability of what it means to be weak and mortal and human? These questions test Jesus' ability to resist, giving in to the fear of missing out. They are presented in a way that tests where Jesus' priorities really lie framing each scenario in a way that invites Jesus to do something that seems entirely reasonable, even beneficial, but for all the wrong reasons. One of my favorite authors, Irish peacemaker and poet Padre Otuma, tells the story of an experience he had as a teenager, coming home from attending a church camp, church camps that likely many of us have attended as part of our summer rituals. But he says, I came home with some new friends, some new cross-border experiences, some new devotions, and an extraordinary commitment to seeing the devil every day. I'd pray at night, reflect on the day, read a text, name requests for all the people I loved, and then I'd rebuke the devil. I don't know who told me to do that. It may have been a practice I invented all by myself. But it was extraordinary how when I went looking for the devil, I found the devil. He goes on to say, well, of course, many of the areas in my life where I found Lucifer were the areas where I was most conflicted. I was a teenager about sex about friendships, about jealousies, about rage I couldn't express. It's more entertaining, he says, to rebuke Satan than reflect on self. 
that last line is what grabbed me as I reflected on this text from Matthew. It's more entertaining to rebuke Satan than reflect on self. Ouch. It is easier, though, to go around looking for the devil in others and in the world around us than to reflect on the state of our own hearts and minds and spirits. It's more fun if we're honest. But this is the real work of Lent, to take that inner journey that's hard and exhausting, but to see it as a classroom for our spirits so that we identify what drives us So maybe they won't always drive us. And the ways we're tempted to take shortcuts and maintain our own sense of control and being in charge. Jesus is being confronted with something he might want, namely bread or power or influence. We know that Jesus in the grand story is not without bread or power or influence. The question is, how will the quality of his relationships affect these events? What power will they have over him? How will he use bread, power, and his abilities for other purposes? So hidden underneath the supernatural image of a tempter appearing to a hungry pilgrim in the desert... (coughs) is a story of how we must all, especially in times of weakness, come into conflict and tension with this fear of missing out on the reasonable things we desire. Because it is reasonable to desire to survive. But what values and priorities might we compromise on as we survive? When we are afraid, afraid of missing out or afraid of causing conflict, it can be easy to abandon those practices of virtue and justice that we know are most important. Yet in Jesus, if we look back to the text, we see a person at their end. They are exhausted. They are spent. They cannot do for themselves at this point in their lives. But nevertheless, he can reflect on these choices, these tests presented to him, as if he were making his choices freely, even if it was incredibly hard. For he was hungry, making choices about the ethics of how he would fill his belly. He was friendless, making choices about how he would create a community of friends and disciples. He was without power and influence, making choices about the quality of how he would wield that power. Jesus responded to all of these tests with scriptural-fueled courage, repeating sacred words that centered him, cast out his fear, and strengthened his resolve. May it be so for us, too, 
May it be so that we in our conflict, in our fears, in our doubts, have these repeated phrases, poems, scripture, mantras, prayers that continue to turn us to what will steady us, what will center us, casting out our fears, strengthening our resolve. For a fact of life following Jesus is this. We can be beloved and uncomfortable at the same time. We can be beloved and vulnerable to heartache and pain and loss at the same time. So this is our time to reorient ourselves as followers of Christ to God and to each other, reminding each other that every single one of us in this room and not in this room is beloved, a precious child of God, and beautiful to behold. So Providence, may these 40 days become the crucible by which you are being changed by God for the sake of the world, priorities and all. And throughout the workings of change, remember too that you are indeed beloved, precious, and beautiful to behold. Amen.